I'm not suggesting that anybody be a cowboy. All I'm saying is if we're at the wrong place at the wrong time, then we're trained to respond with a level of skill and measure in all capacities with our hands, without our hands, the full spectrum of force from avoiding conflict, right? To deterring or deescalating conflict to a hands-free type of thing where we have to control somebody, whatever the case may be, or, or going all the way up to the highest level of force that we need to, as long as we are justified in doing so. And that's all about decision-making, making sound decisions. So that's the jam. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Pohada Podcast. As usual, I am Matt Browse of Pohada Photography, and who you heard there laying it on the line was Mr. Todd Fossey of Integrative Defense Strategies. Outside of the usual bullshitting, he breaks down for me and my friend Pauly what drove him to want to help others defend themselves, and we get into some of the realities of needing to do so. We talk about how his training for jiu-jitsu serves as good research for his teachings. And we talk about filling your love bucket with Blossom and Boo Boo. Without further ado, my conversation with Todd Fossey. Smart guy. Uh, he's, he's just become one of my, one of my favorite people over, over the years, you know. Had interesting story with Nat. Well, I've got it. was a couple, but I mean, I've, I, when I was still, uh, I don't, I don't train Muay Thai anymore. I teach a striking class, a self-defense striking class. But, uh, when I was training Muay Thai and Nat was my coach, it was a sparring class. And the background that I had come from before I went to the academy, the sparring was a lot harder all the time. So when I'm sparring, like, I don't even know it, but I'm like, tuning people up and pissing people off and I didn't even know I wasn't even I didn't have that level of self-awareness at the time and uh Nat comes up to me and he's like uh hey he's like taps my hand he's like let's go let's go around I'm like thinking sweet I get to spar with Nat fucking McIntyre you know what I mean <laughs> this is gonna be cool not not realizing that he's there like he's gonna he's playing the enforcer fucking role mm -hmm. right now you know and what is he like four-time American uh, Muay Thai champion right and he's in his way shorter than me and he weighs, you know, a buck 40 soaking wet. And uh, I'm so I'm sparring with him and I don't realize it. And, and I just snap a jab and his head snaps back and I see him give me this look. I'm like, okay, it looks, I guess we're still cool. And <laughs> was it more than 20 seconds later? He's standing right in front of me, like two feet away. So I'm thinking, I don't have to worry about a head kick from here. Right. Next thing I know, fucking Nat is neck. He's fucking neck kicking me, standing like right in front of me. Like, how is this even physically fucking possible? The guy's <laughs> almost 50 years old. And I'm like almost knocked out. I'm like, whoa, whoa, like what's going on? Was I going too hard? What's the deal? And I finally like start kind of coming back to, and I was like, oh, because I almost lost consciousness. And I go, what's going on? What's going on? Like, I'm like, why did you do that? And he goes, sometimes I just do stupid shit. <laughs> and that was the end of it and we touched hands after that and we continued yeah. going and then our friend that was the kind of the start of our friendship and message received right loud and clear <laughs> yeah loud and clear see and to your your first point about him um i sat here for two and a half or three hours with him and asked about him said tell me your story tell me about fights tell me all of it and i didn't know that he was a four-time national something champion, like something, that. something 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 like didn't that. even cross his mind apparently 
No, that's yeah. that's him on the yeah. level, like you said. Yeah, that's Nat. I'd like to be more like Matt, more like Nat. Mm. Not that old though. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Let me tell you about my bloodline. Hopefully. Uh, Todd Fossey. Yeah. Who are you? And what's your business, sir? Holy shit. Talk about an open-ended question. Where do you <laughs> want me to start, you, man? You can run as far as you want. But, I'll just go with the first thing that pops into my head. Okay. Um. I have led an interesting life. Looking back on my own life, I have to ask myself, is this, has my life really happened? Like, is it real? Is my life real? And so sometimes when I tell my life story, I wouldn't doubt that other people would kind of doubt that these things even happened and uh, things that I've done. And I water it down a lot just to kind of make it a little bit more palatable, I think. Um, and it's even more kind of, it's not bewildering to me, but it's, it's even fascinating to me that I've ended up doing what I'm doing for a living and, uh, who I'm doing it with and why I'm doing it. You know, um, I don't know, man, like, what do you want? Where do you want me to start? Tell me the name of your operation. Let's start there. Get that in, get that out early. The name of my business is called integrative defense strategies. And the name kind of sums it up. You know, we, we take multiple disciplines and multiple modalities and we blend them together into its own discipline. Um, the best way that I can summarize it, it's hard to describe, to be honest with you. It's multidimensional. You know, it's nonlinear. It's multidimensional. And, and that can be kind of weird for people to hear. Like, what are you talking about? You know? Uh, best way that I can describe it for without people experiencing it is, um, uh, it's a, it's personal protection, um, on the hands-free side of things. If I'm going to isolate things, it would be modern MMA that has been adapted to personal protection and firearms training that's integrated into the mix we have a motto and our motto is don't be a gunfighter be a fighter with a gun understand the principles of personal protection and self-defense on multiple levels and dimensions and then you're just adding the firearm into that equation as um, a distance deterrent or a distance weapon statistically it's very low probability that you would need that and, and so we're, we, we built our curriculums based on data. So that way we're not arbitrary in our approach and just wanting to give people what they want, cool guy shit, tactical shit, but really focused on giving people what they need that's geared toward the citizen defender that's broken away from the indoctrination and the dogma of military backgrounds, martial arts dogma and background, um, law enforcement background dogma competition shooting dogma things of that nature we really wanted to stay as objective as possible and say how can we design a personal protection curriculum and philosophy that's geared to with the, the probabilities and variables that the average person would face in life yeah, so if i if i seek out 
personal protection information from someone who is a law enforcement officer, they're coming at it with a certain bias. Yes. Same thing, someone with military experience, they're coming at it with a certain yes. bias. You're trying to distill it down to me, a guy getting out of my car in the Target parking lot. Yes. Or whoever, the soccer right. mom. Right. Right, or whatever the, whatever the case may be. And so as opposed to taking this kind of cookie-cutter, standardized approach, we want it, we want it to be principle-based to the point where the people that we teach and the people that we influence can take the principles that we're employing and adapt it to them, their unique set of attributes, their unique set of circumstances, their unique lifestyle, and the situation that they're faced with because in violence, the variables are unpredictable and unrepeatable. So we can't tell you how it's going to go. We can only give you the principles to solve that problem in compressed time under extreme stress, you know, and understand the human dynamics. I have a background in human dynamics as well. Human performance. I was a human performance coach at a high level for a long time. And I still am to some degree. Um, but understanding the psychophysiology of what's going to take place and what are the probabilities of human performance under extreme stress under those types of circumstances, which if I can digress a little bit, our culture has no fucking clue about like just to give you an example. And I'm a, by the way, I'm a, I'm a, for those of you who are listening, I'm a certified force science analyst. So I, I can be a, like a paid expert witness in a case, mm. right? Of violence. So I know a lot about this shit. Our culture had our cultural perspective has been skewed about what is realistic for human performance under extreme stress in compressed time when the stakes are life and death. They have they've been trained by Hollywood. They've been trained by the mainstream media to think that things should uh, they, they they think they understand what should happen and then the Dunning and Kruger effect on f steroids. You know what I mean? They they have no clue what they're talking about, but they're absolutely convinced that they do. And it's a real problem. And so we're trying to demystify that and get right down to reality because we're talking about life and death. There's, there's no, this is, I'm not playing. You know, this is the real deal. Right. This is a zero sum fucking game. There's no tapping out. That's like the thing I do best. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I've gotten the hang of that. Pretty Me good. too. <laughs> Me too. It's a, uh, there was that thing that floated around a few months ago. There was some survey of men as to like what animal they could beat in a fight, you know, and it, the, the list went from like, you know, goose up to like bear, you know, and got like bigger and scarier. And there were, it, I mean, it was probably a, a hilarious, but still true representation of your fundamental point. There is like, there was there was not a 0% chance listed on this whole spectrum. Like you're going to fight a moose or a bear, you know? So you can't even imagine what people think about an interaction with another person who they didn't see coming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, we do the best that we can. For those of you who are listening, who aren't familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's when people of low ability and low, low knowledge suffer from a metacognitive inability to recognize their own ineptitude. And they suffer from what's called an illusory superiority of what their own abilities are. 
that's the f- actual formal defi- definition. I'm not smart enough to think that up. And so what we try to do is help have our students understand what is the, um, what is the progression that they'll go through when it comes to, um, skill development in terms of a level of competence. And then early on, give them a dose of reality and a dose of confidence at the same time. So we're busting that illusion, but we're also letting them know you're capable of doing extraordinary things. Navy SEALs are just regular fucking people who have a certain set of circumstances. So everybody's capable of doing extraordinary things. And so that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Do you, do you remember the original Dunning-Kruger research? I, I refresh I, my memory. Well, and I don't know if I'm going to, but that's I it. seem to recall that it was, they showed someone, showed a group of people a video of people pulling the tablecloth mm. off the table and then like the glasses and stuff mm-hmm. staying where it yeah. was and you see it and it looks incredibly easy. So you go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of, you, you logic it out in your head a little bit. And then, so they, everyone reported this massive level of certainty of their ability to do it. And then they all went to do it. And it's a damn disaster because good luck pulling that off. <laughs> and then, so their, their impression having seen it as to what they would do was really positive. And their impression after having tried it was the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, and it, it's sort of like kind of what you're saying, like with the influence of media and stuff, you watch sports, people do sports and fighters do fights. You even watch like true crime or like, you know, these cop show clips and stuff online and you get this impression mm-hmm. of how those scenarios are going to go. Mm-hmm. But that's reasonably far and, from the and truth. And YouTube videos and instructional videos where everything looks perfect. So we we're on this, we have this kind of new movement at IDS and through social media, we call it train ugly. It was, it was originally coined, I believe by Karch Karai. You guys remember Karch Karai? Mm-mm. Volleyball player, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's the women's, women's Olympic volleyball team coach. And he, and he is a all time, he was actually voted by the volleyball community as the greatest volleyball player in mind of the last 100 years. And he's, he's, I'm a geek when it comes to, you know, I'm a human performance coach too, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to motor learning and what's the latest research on motor learning and human performance and Karch Karai is like way, way, way into it. And so he coined the phrase train ugly, which means stop coming to practice hope with the hope of looking good in practice, come and fail your fucking ass off here because that's going to create the greatest, the, the greatest transference of skill for you. The, you know, the failure the, 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 the right kind of failure is going to increase that transference in the way that now neuroscience actually knows that that kind of failure is a biological requirement for myelination to occur, for real unconscious competence to occur. There has to be a certain level of failure. So we encourage people, come in and train it ugly and let this be a, re, a process of refinement. Don't worry about looking good. Come in and embarrass the fuck out of yourself. And that comes back to me and other leaders and instructors in the world and the community who have to be willing then to let themselves fail in front of their students and let themselves fail publicly. You know, so that's why I try to train live as much as I can against fucking savages that I know are going to own me so that the world can see, Oh, look, there are people who are considered high level, hot top tier instructors that are failing too. Yeah. You don't believe that they fail because they won't fucking show you fuck that. We're talking about the lives are of human beings are on the line here. Is this about you preserving the life of another human being 
or is this about your fucking ego, man? Which one is it? You know, you well, can that, have a healthy ego, but go ahead. Yeah, well, it's kind of that. It's a thing in martial arts, particularly like old school, quote unquote, traditional martial arts. That there's this hierarchy, and the higher up you go, the more perfect it all is, and right. it's kind of the brand that gets sold. Less so in jujitsu, just because around the every fucking corner, it. there's another maniac that's going to strangle somebody. That's you know? the beauty. That's the beauty of jujitsu. Yeah, you can get humbled at any. You roll too. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you can get humbled at any moment by anybody. That's that's what's so beautiful about it. You know, and anyway, we hope our goal with IDS is to take that same model and, and apply it, you know, to regular people. I, for the record, I don't consider myself to be a martial artist. And while I roll, I don't know, four days a week, I don't consider myself to be a grappler. I dabble in grappling and I borrow from grappling for the, the unique discipline of weapons based grappling the we believe that then we've found anyway that the context dictates the strategy so the strategy is so dramatically different in self-defense on the street so even more dramatically different when there are weapons at play and chances are good that they are so that strategy has to be so different so i view it like if we look at grappling like you think about all the other all the forms of grappling right there's how many fuckloads are there now we got a new one, by the way. For those of you who are listening, we mm-hmm. got a new one, and it's a weapons-based approach. And we've explored this a lot, and we've explored it deeply. And uh, Greg, Greg Nelson is my coach and my, my mentor, and Greg and I and Nat McIntyre and others, we've explored this at a deep level, and we've come to a very firm conclusion. This is, very, this is a very different discipline. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you follow the same strategy for sport. And then for self-defense, and if you guys don't mind, do you mind if I elaborate on that a little bit? Go ahead, bro. You Tell sure? You good? Okay. Um, can we just take a look at sport jujitsu for a second? And notice I, 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 I like to create a distinction. I call it sport jujitsu. Um, and I'm going to put this forward for everyone's consideration. Okay, I don't claim to have the answers, but I hope that you'll just consider what I'm here to say. Um, have you considered the surfaces that you'll be on in a self-defense situation? You know, if you're a wrestler, you can, you're going to hit that deep penetration step and letting your knee slam into the concrete. When you hit that deep penetration step, you're going to hit that double leg takedown. You're going to pick that person up and slam them on their head on the concrete. Hope that you're familiar with the laws governing the use of force and how that can be considered excessive force in a fucking heartbeat. And now you're the one who's going to prison. That person threw a punch at you, right? And you hit that standing double leg takedown and you blast them into the concrete. And now that person's a vegetable or dead. You're in big fucking trouble. Oh, that, that person took you down. They took you to the ground and you choked them unconscious, right? So you cut off the blood to their brain and you've obstructed their airway. Who's the one who's in big fucking trouble? Oh, that dude took you down, took you to the ground, or in a scramble, you both end up falling to the ground. It happens a lot, right? And you broke that guy's arm, really? You don't think that's excessive force, right? The use of force continuum, using the same level of force that comes against you without going beyond that level of force. Once the threat has been stopped, you must stop. And I'm not even getting into the rest of it, right? Oh, really? So 
you're a concealed carrier and you take that dude to the ground, do you really know how to retain that weapon in that situation? Do you really? Or are you just fa falling into that trap of the Dunning-Kruger effect into believing that you do and having your own gun taken from you? Are you taking into account that they probably have more than one weapon on them? Do you know how to deal with that? Do you know there's a 56% chance of more than one attacker? So great, you've got this guy controlled inside control. you got a nice cross face going on him. And this 115-pound girlfriend comes up and blasts you and kicks you in your fucking head. And now you're in a coma for three months. Have we really thought about this? Or have we just fallen into this presupposition, right? This presupposition that that is self-defense. Are those two things mutually exclusive? No, of course not. We can borrow a lot from each other for sure. But I think it's important that we start to call things what they are. Just for starters. Well, it sounds a little bit like uh, kind of getting beyond first and second layer of thinking. Like, well, yeah, if somebody swung at me, I would take them down and, and, and... And then and, what? And who did you just you take know? down? That's another consideration. Yeah, and who else Who'd is you around? Fucking, we all know as people who roll, right? Don't ever judge a book by its cover. <laughs> We've all met that. We've all met that fate, right? And to some degree, I don't know who the fuck I just took down. And now I got a weapon on me or something else. I don't, I'm not, I'm going to keep it on the feet as long as I can. But then there's the other side where they'll say, well, just don't let the fight go to the ground. You know, like we have a choice. Mm -hmm. Always like we always yeah. have a choice, right? Yeah. yeah, it's the like the standard template in a lot of our heads of how this is going to go as if it's a clean stepwise progression. Yeah, and now that like the movements of a spazzy untrained person aren't going to necessarily be the same. So the reflexes that you've developed for what you're going to do and what pathways you're going to take may not be the same. We've all experienced that with this first time spazzy wipeout. You know, like damn, this guy's a handful. He doesn't know what he's doing, but. I don't know what he's doing either. I got poked in the eye now. Yeah, what a fucking whatever. Apologies, right. you said. Well, I, I was so there's been a lot of new students coming back now that like things are opening back up again, and um, yeah, I was rolling with a bunch of them, and I was saying the same thing to my wife. I'm like, in a realistic situation, like quote unquote bar fight, right? That's the kind of person you need to be worried about is that new person that has no idea what they're doing. You know, it's not like black belt that's just gonna carefully choke you out or yeah. you know whatever yeah, well, a considerate training partner is not gonna flail an elbow toward your temple right, <laughs> right. right. deliberately or accidentally you know yeah who knows right. grab that bar that that beer bottle and smash it over the floor right? <laughs> right. who fucking knows what their buddy's gonna come up and do i'd like to also uh, just comes to my mind draw a distinction between a fight and an attack to me like when I think about that, the fight is something that is, it's, it's mutual. It's a duel. It's something that you've both agreed to do. Whereas an attack is going to be asymmetrical, right? You're not expecting it, you, you know, and to me to also draw some other distinctions, violence has a victim where force does not see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we, the terminology that we like to use is that we'd like to teach people to use force as a countermeasure to violence. And those two things are, all of those, these distinctions are very important, we believe, and what we've found um, with what strategies that we're choosing to take in the blink of an eye. So. What brought you to that? Like, like what started this all? What, what, what like what, 
specifically? Like, what do you mean? What brought me to that conclusion? Like IDS? No, like what, what was the catalyst for you starting this program and, and everything? That's a good question. That's going to take me back a little ways. <laughs> that's, that's okay. You guys are cool with that. I'll, uh, we, we got all day, brother. Um, I was a bouncer for a long time. Uh, 20s, and, uh, 20s and part of my 30s as a bouncer. Even before that, a little bit in college. Track and field athlete in college. Going back farther than that, I had an intense interest in human performance and um, sports psychology when I was starting at the age of 10. And Division One athlete, high hurdler, top 20 university in track and field, all that shit. So I was a part of, I was intense in elite performance has always been a kind of part of my thing, right? Then I started coaching elite performers and stuff. But uh, I was in Hollywood for 10 years, so I saw a lot of bad shit bouncing in Hollywood. And I was doing that. Um, to support myself as I made my way through the entertainment business. I was a writer, producer, director in Hollywood. So I'm good at taking, people ask me, what's your talent? I'm like taking massive amounts of information and collating it into coherent outputs. That's what I'm good at, right? Organizing things into hierarchies is what I'm good at. And, and communicating it, I think anyway, I hope. But, um, so I saw a lot of bad shit. You know what I mean? I'm lucky to be alive. And I've got some training back then. And when I was working my way up through through Hollywood, I had friends that were consultants on films, right? On action films. They were, they were um, technical advisors on films. But they were also real operators, right? Um, back then, they called themselves mercs. Now they're called contractors, right? And uh, so I... They, they knew that I had an interest in firearms and I would go to their range regularly. This is back in the late 90s. I'm like, don't go to the fucking range. I'm like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? Like, I'm in Hollywood, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, come with us. So they asked me, like, they invited me to come with them to this training place. I promised I would never say where it was or who they were, right? Because I wasn't supposed to be there. Like, sit in the back seat, pretend like you're one of us. Like, fuck, there's like security guards at this place and shit, you know? And they didn't never my instructors, but I just started watching and imitating what they did. And they would kind of explain it to me. And I'm like, so that really opened my eyes up to the tactical world. What I do, that was sort of more sort of paramilitary. And I'm like, and then I started getting more and more involved in the kind of that side of it. And then I started to realize and going through lots of training after that, this doesn't really apply to me. This is paramilitary training. You know, like this doesn't apply to me with my, like what's going to happen. Like I've seen, I know what violence looks like is that this doesn't apply to me. So start asking hard questions. What does apply to me? I'm not saying that paramilitary training doesn't have its place. Sure. It most certainly does. And I think that I'd love to see all Americans have a level of paramilitary training, to be honest, in my opinion, but the probability of that is extremely low. So I thought I started saying, well, what is high probability? Let's start researching what the data suggests in terms of what kinds of violent crimes there are, what distances do they take place at, what types of weapons are used most frequently, you know, breaking down all that data. And then the data says, well, here's what they look like. So here's what we should be preparing for, because the research shows that if in order for the, to maximize transference of skill, that 
our preparation needs to be specific to those circumstances. And I didn't see how that was happening. And so, um, I was all, I made my way through Hollywood, had some success there, got out of Hollywood cause I didn't like it. Parlayed that into a career in human performance. And I was a psychotherapist for 15 years with a portion of that in human, in human performance with elite athletes and performers. And, uh, started training Krav Maga. I have a black belt in Krav Maga. I had some looking at Krav Maga critically, had some kind of like, eh, this is maladaptive. You know, I know this works. This is a maladaptive, but a whatever. And, uh, knowing that I kind of want to take it in a different direction. And then what happened was the, uh, the terror attack that took place at, um, the Westgate mall in Mumbai. No, no, in Kenya, in Kenya, not Mumbai, in Kenya. And that day changed it all for me. I watched that. And to be completely transparent with you, God struck my heart and I had to sit down with my wife and I said, I'm not going to live in a world like this. I'm going to use the, the skills and the, and the knowledge that I have to train regular people. Um, to respond to violence as a broadband deterrent to violence. I'm not going to let people stand by and be harmless victims to psychopaths. So that that that? motivated me. You ever want to watch the documentary terror at the mall? You ever seen that? I don't think so. You should. That's about that incident. Yeah. So what they did was they took the security footage of what happened that day. And then they interviewed the survivors of it and they tie this really interesting story together and dynamic of it. So I really got into the active shooter terror response training and we teach regular people in that. And some people in law enforcement, some people in military have a problem with that. And they'll say, yeah, but that's not your job. That's our job. I'm like, fuck you because this shit's happening to fucking us. You know what I'm saying? We're not waiting for you to come and file the fucking report. And just to give an illustration of that and what happened at Kenya, that, that mall in Kenya, the Westgate Mall, it was regular fucking CCW people that went in there and laid down cover fire that allowed hundreds of people to get out that engaged them. It saved hundreds of lives. One dude had this shitty ass revolver and he's literally got shot by an AK. His guts were fucking hanging out. He's holding his guts in while he's fighting back, allowing innocent people that he doesn't even fucking know to get the fuck out. And you know what, you know where the, we know where law enforcement was fucking nowhere. They were outside setting up a fucking command center and it took them hours to do it, to figure out to go inside. And then it took the military time to respond and it was something like six hours for the military to even fucking show up. So you know who fucking took care of business? Regular dudes that had little to no training at all. So I'm like, what would happen if everyone in that mall was armed and what would happen if everybody in that arm was, was trained to the highest possible level? You know what happened? Fucking nothing. That's what would happen. <laughs> they wouldn't even bother to go the fuck in there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not suggesting that anybody be a cowboy. Well, all I'm saying is if we're at the wrong place at the wrong time, then we're trained to respond with a level of skill and measure at, in all capacities, with our hands, without our hands, the full spectrum of force from avoiding conflict right, to deterring or de-escalating conflict to a hands-free type of thing where we have to control somebody 
whatever the case may be, or, or going all the way up to the highest level of force that we need to, as long as we are justified in doing so. And that's all about decision-making, making sound decisions. So that's the jam, you know? Unfortunately, my wife, you know, I asked her, can I do this? Are you okay with that? And she, Natalie, she gave me her blessing. She, God, I love that woman. <laughs> you know, she fucking insisted on it. So here, so now here we are, you know? It kind of fill in the gap between when a threat begins to happen and when the cops would be able to get there in a way. Yep. But they're 13 minutes away. Which is or whatever. right fucking now. Mo- you've yeah. got moments. Yeah. What, yeah. What's that phrase there? Minutes away when seconds count or That's something right. like that. That's right. And so what? Uh, the full spectrum all the way to, you know, being able to apply emergency first aid, you know, dealing with the scene after action, aftermath, knowing how to direct traffic. It isn't just all, you know, shoot them up shit. In fact, 80% of assaults are simple assaults. So you're great. You're carrying a fucking firearm around, but you don't know how to do anything else. And now you know how to retain your fucking weapon, right? The other majority of assaults are happening at contact distance with an impact weapon or an edge weapon. Now you don't know how to fight your way to that. Who has the advantage? Fucking they do, you know, because you don't know how to transition from one thing to another or how or why or when to do what to do. They don't have a fucking clue. The only tool you have is a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. So that's why we say, don't be a fucking gunfighter. Be a fighter with a gun. And avoid that shit at all costs. But if it finds you, be prepared to switch into that place where the normal rules no longer apply. What level of... uh uh, like emergency response, like medical training, CPR, first aid, any of that stuff. Do I want? Do you want? Or anybody? I would say the first, first and foremost, it would be learn how to stop the bleed of an arterial wound in an extremity. That's what's going to kill you the fastest. You know, you can bleed out in forty seconds completely. So knowing how to how to tie that wound off, how to pack it how to apply pressure. It's not a complicated process, but hope that you're carrying a tourniquet on you and that you know how to do that simple, but, but can be a difficult, can be a difficult task in a short amount of time. You know, that's yeah, the other side of the yeah. equation, right? Yeah. The, the stepwise description of doing anything like that is always simple, but I gave you reference before it's under duress and under pressure in a stressful yeah, situation. Yeah. And the person you're trying to save bleeding. is fighting back. Yeah. Right. And, uh, the blood is, is slippery and slimy and it's hard to hold on and shit's burning in your face and it's gross and you got to be able to, you know, you got to check your shit and be like, no, this is, this is, this is, I got to do this now. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I got I got to handle this. Yeah, so the more times, just like anything, the more times you practiced it, the, this is the dumbest sentence, but I'm going to say it anyway. The more times you practice it, the more likely you are to do it well, right. all things considered. Yeah. Just like any other, you know, like fighting and whatnot. Yeah. The cool thing about it is it's conceptual, so it doesn't require a tremendous amount of practice. You can retain a concept pretty fast, you know, have a pretty decent level of competence with the concept. So we follow, here's the, the, here's the steps that we follow when it, when it comes to teaching anything and feel free to jump in on this. Cause I know that you have a high level of experience with this, but nobody, not, nobody's here to hear me, bro. 
<laughs> I'd like to hear what you have to say about it, but <laughs> the, the process that we follow, so we do things backward to how things are normally taught. We teach people what they need to know first. You don't have to be a fucking purple belt before I teach you what you need to know. What do you need to know today to save your life? That's what I'm going to start by teaching you. See what I'm saying? We didn't learn things by, you didn't learn to communicate by learning the alphabet first. You gave grunts and sounds and gestures and what you needed to survive first. So that's the priority that we take. Then you didn't learn proper sentence structure. And then you didn't learn how to write a fucking dissertation after that, right? You learned what, what was the most important thing first for your survival. So that's the route that we take. And so we also prioritize basic, well, so need probability level of complexity. So we'll start by teaching people the concept. Can they retain the concept? Then we'll take them to the process of learning the gross motor movements, but within a randomized scenario-based learning environment, which can help to increase the transference of skill. Okay. Yes, we need to isolate skills, but we need to learn it in the, in, within the right context. If you're not learning within the context, then you're, you're just, it's a fucking dance class. You know what I'm saying? So concept, gross motor, then fine motor. That's right. And then sensory motor right? Feel, flow, pressures, energies, timing. And then the, the, when the skill is perished, it happens in the reverse order. You'll first lose the timing and the, right, and the sensory, and then you'll lose the fine motor, then you'll lose the gross motor, and then you'll retain the concept last with some gross motor in there. So that's a process that we, that we follow. We don't teach you all the little sensory shit first, like especially with the handgun. Like it's all fucking find and sensory motor shit, right? Why is the firearms training world teaching that shit first? You know how I know it doesn't work? Fucking teaching hundreds and hundreds of CCW classes and teaching that shit, taking them to the range 10 minutes later and they don't remember any of it. They don't recall any of it, especially under a little bit of stress. And what do they need to know first? They need to know how to, how to present their weapon and draw their weapon first. So what am I going to start by teaching them? That gross motor movement, what they have to know first. They got to know how to get their damn weapon out. And then we take things in the reverse order. So it's like the process of a, of a sculptor. We're knocking off those big chunks first, right? And then we're going to start sculpting and shaping and rinsing and, you know, repeating that. So we take things in the exact reverse order and everyone thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, start studying how fucking motor learning actually happens. Motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just stop with all totally. the dogma. Yeah. Stop with all the tradition. What do people need to fucking know? Unless you're in it for the sake of tradition, then right on. Do it. Fucking have a blast. Mm -hmm. Do your jam. But don't call it something that it's not. Or just admit you don't fucking know. When I say you, I'm right there with you. I, I wouldn't... Uh... I wouldn't describe the process or go about the, the whole thing differently at all. And you see it in like gyms, like fitness gyms. You know, if I, if I have someone begin doing a barbell squat and then somebody else has them begin doing a barbell squat, there are like learned or otherwise heard or memorized cues that people will use that are so far beyond the point right now. The point is there's a bar, pick it up squat down come back up exactly now let's talk there's the concept yeah. right. right am i correct no I'm, I'm right there with you and you, you'll hear people all right before you grab the bar so here's what you want to feel and here's where we're going to put this and do that and grab the bar feel the movement and we'll chip it away from there exactly it's a process of refinement the challenge is we're living in a culture today that doesn't honor in my opinion it doesn't honor the cultivation of skill Everything is a, we're living a right now culture and everyone wants that payoff. 
right now. Everyone wants that trinket. Everyone wants to show the, you know, the, their tight groupings on their fucking target on Facebook and look at this, you know, fuck you, dude. I'm like, you know, uh, like to me, generic marksmanship is the equivalent of figure skating and fighting with a gun is the equivalent of fucking hockey. You know what I'm saying? Like they're both in the same ring. They're both on ice. They're both on skates, but their context changes the way they skate and it changes their strategy dramatically. Try and do a triple toe loop in the middle of a fucking hockey game and tell me how well that's going to work out for you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes, I do. That's not that's counterproductive. It makes you look good for a moment, but is that going to matter? Is that going to matter the most when someone's trying to, you know, carve you up with a knife? Yeah. No. Well, I, I took a little uh, a little spa day yesterday, which means I went and and uh, I thought you were kind of glowing. I no, it, well, <laughs> uh, I went to the gun range and fired off a couple hundred rounds and then I went to Fat Nats and got the 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 lazy man's eggs benedict the slider right on fucking ham and cheese and egg sandwich right smothered on. in hollandaise that's my version of a spa day and any anytime I'm at the gun range standing there perfectly still plenty of time to aim like it's fun and I'm terrible just like I am at jujitsu you know once in a while, I get the damn thing to go where I want it to go. But, like, you have this thought of, like, this is super practical. I'm being sarcastic. I know. You, you, you I know, like, know. <laughs> like I've, I'm now I'm fumbling to reholster this gun. Meanwhile, I'm getting the shit beat out of me in a real situation, you know. So it's fun, but, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's like you, you got to admit that it's pageantry and that end of it is, is useful, I'm sure. But, like. Most will, what the hell else happened? Most refuse to admit that. Yeah. Most refuse to admit that because it's fun. There's a place for it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of like saying this, like, okay, I've got two hands here, right? And if I take a a, a picture of the tip of the pinky finger on my fucking right hand, I'm saying, look at both of my hands. You know what I'm saying? No, you're showing the tip of the pinky finger on your right hand, bro. That's not both hands. I know they told you that's both fucking hands, but it's not both fucking hands. You need both hands to do your shit, bro. You're not going to be able to play the fucking piano at the concert fucking level. You know what I'm saying? With the tip of your fucking pinky finger. And by the way, you're going to need your feet too with the pedals. You know what I mean? Right. And then you're going to be, then you have to realize, oh shit, for me to reach that level, then, then I have to realize that my practice can't be gratuitous and then no note can be fucking wasted. I have to be as efficient as I can possibly be. And no one's trying, no one's going to try and fucking kill you if you fuck up that concert. Right. You know what I mean? You're not going to prison <laughs> God, I hope if you not. break the, if you don't follow the music. And then you get to the point like, okay, now I can look, okay, I guess I got all 10 fingers and toes and now I can start to play jazz with my shit because I don't want to play the song the same way twice. This is a different room than it was last night. I got to play to this room. You know what I'm saying? And so even the musician understands to be adaptable, but for some reason, the world of self-defense, they don't, they don't think that being adaptive is because it's not going to sell. That's my opinion. Sellable. And then also familiar, easily repeatable. I, as the instructor don't need to expand and change and adapt either. Yes. Just like any other coaching and teaching situation, you're sometimes limited by where the instructor's head is at, right? The biggest challenge that we face at IDS is how do we describe what we do? It's kind of like, um, how do you describe what a sphere or a cube or a pyramid looks like to somebody that lives in a two-dimensional reality? 
They'll go, yeah, I love the fucking circles. I'm like, yeah, but I'm talking about spheres. <laughs> like, yeah, the circle is fucking awesome. That's fucking sweet. But that you're talking about a circle, bro. You're not talking. They don't have a. They have no point of reference until they get a chance to experience it. But when then once they experience it, they can't unexperience it. You know, they've expanded their understanding of what it is and how it works, and they don't have to be an expert right away. They just have to be faced with what the reality of it is, so that they can begin to understand it. So you kind of you roll jujitsu, but you kind of roll. Like for research, in a way. So here's the process. Um, I only roll no gi. I, I have a blue belt. I don't really belts don't really aren't aren't nice, but they're not really my priority. I don't really think about that pursuit. I'm cool with it. I think it's great, but not really my my focus, right? Um. When I took my blue belt test, I, they had to show me how to put my belt on. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> you know? Testing for a belt you don't know how to tie. I that's, don't know how to tie that's the pretty belt. Good. Yeah. And um, so I'm always looking at it through the lens of my context, self-defense and the weapons-based context. Um, and what's so great about that is like, you know, Greg and I are close and we spent a lot of time alone, you know, training the stuff and going over it and analyzing it and processing it. and he gives suggestions and when he's demonstrating stuff like I'll be looking I'm like oh fuck I think that and so I'm, I make video notes on my phone and I shoot it and I make and I go home and I collate it into like spreadsheets and outlines and then IDS my school is a lab so so people know like we have courses throughout the week like any place and then it, but the students all know they're lab rats so we're pressure testing and we're finding out like how do we build curriculums and what's going to work and all that kind of shit. So we go through the process of refinement until then once that pre-refinement process happens, then we can take it public. We have an affiliate program across the United States. We have about 40 affiliates across North America who run our curriculums and we certify the instructors and in what we do. And it's growing in popularity. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what the process is. So when I'm in a, for example, when I'm in a class, 20% of the rounds that I roll, I roll as if I have a gun on, right? Even if I'm in, I'm no gi, but I'm rolling as if I have a gun on. One out of five rounds, I'll just have fun and pretend like I'm everybody else just because it's fun. It's less pressure for me. You know, I have a good time. Um, but a lot comes out of that. And uh, especially when I'm like open mat, at the, open mat at the fucking academy Friday mornings is fucking Savageville, right? Right. It's very deep water. <laughs> yeah it's savageville it's very deep water and uh um from not only with high level grapplers but world-class mma right it's happening there too and so they they those guys are kind enough to let me dip my toe in the water and yeah like, can i like and because greg's all about it like do you guys mind if i roll with this training gun on and now other people are starting to do it too which is cool gus is getting into it who you just hit mm -hmm, on, mm -hmm. you know um and so it's starting to grow and spread but that's the testing grounds you know that's the real testing grounds to kind of find out what what are the patterns that we're recognizing and then what what are the what are the movements that are, and the the strategy is going to be most uh, effective the way i see it is if i can be if i can be effective versus those in that deep water against those high level guys who know i have it on and are getting good at getting my gun away from me, 
then how much better off am I going to be on the street? I'm going to be a lot better off, especially because Greg's always taking the MMA parts into account and Greg's good at taking the firearm into account too. Like here are the considerations, you know, and then I'll add my two cents into it. And so, so I'll learn from Greg and Greg's also my student firearms. I'm his firearms instructor. So we learn from each other. And then there's a part that we're workshopping and Nat's involved in that. Nat McIntyre's involved Mm -hmm. with that. So we're workshopping Mm it, see how that works. So we're collaborating on that. And then once that refinement process happens and we're like, okay, we feel like this is ready to share with the public. Nice. Well, and then even then the feedback loop just changes. It doesn't stop. That's right. Like every rep you do of everything gives you feedback. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the process. It's a pseudo, it's a pseudo scientific process because this isn't an exact science. There's an art side to it, right? The patterns aren't repeatable. So we have to we have to look at what are the probabilities that we can mitigate and what's going to be most effective for most people, right? They, the individual might have to modify that. Like, fuck, what's going to work for your big ass? I can't even imagine what it's like to roll with you. Right? <laughs> Slow and I breathe. Yeah, right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, is there a new category for like the... 300 pound power blue belt power lifter category right well the the unlimited category in bjj competitions starts obnoxiously low actually like you could be a big old boy matched up against a giant i mean there's not a lot of giants that's why they leave it open but anyway and yet you know what's then what might be effective for you might be something completely different right so we try to find the golden mean you know what i mean yeah. That we think is going to be applicable to high level people, low level people, big people, small people, whatever. Here's that golden mean. Take this nugget of principles and see what you can do with it. Make it your own. Personal protection is that. It's personal. It should be. It should be tailored to you. That's what we believe. Well, yeah, it seems like an absolute fact. Not everybody carries a gun in the same spot. Not everybody has a knife in their EDC or whatever. It's going to vary even outside of uh, your dimensions, just how you tend to roll, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously super blessed. Greg's into it. Like he, he likes to create it. He, uh, Greg really, Greg Nelson, right. He loves the, I don't hope, hope I'm not like sound like a name dropper here, but, um, he's my coach. That's just the way that it is. But mm-hmm. he's, he loves the creative process of this. Right. And he likes to explore and find out. And he helped develop the fucking, U.S. Special Forces, Special Warfare Combatives curriculum. So he knows a thing or two about that. Well, and if he, I mean, I'm assuming he's not new to utilizing firearms. No. Uh, but it's, a, you know, he'll punch and kick and twirl sticks around. It's just another tool to begin to utilize just like you say from a creative standpoint it's one more thing to sort of expand your movement palette and and learn new stuff what's so great about him is that he'll find um, all those disciplines that he's like fucking amazing at right he'll find the common denominators among all of them and then we'll think what are those common denominators that we can apply to this right how can we truly integrate isn't this maybe the most martial of all martial arts right how can we truly, well, I don't consider myself to be a martial artist, you know what I mean? Because there's nothing traditional or, or ornamental about what we do. But in that respect, what can we take that from those common denominators and tr- to truly integrate that into what we're doing with the firearm, especially at close range? 
which most 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 critical instants are going to be happening in a six foot circle, six foot circle to contact distance. You know, so we got we we believe that it's imperative that we learn how to navigate that. You know, which is unique. Tell me about your mini donkeys. <laughs> you don't know this, Polly. No. You know, Polly, you don't know about my mini donkeys. No, but I'm excited. So my wife and I have a hobby farm, which is awesome. Come, you guys really come jealous. Out. Come out. Well, that, that's part of getting you on here. It's all a ploy to get in, so I can come out and train with Dude, you anyway. You know so. what you need to do? You guys need to do seriously. Come out and sit by the fire with us. We have a little fire. We've sort of turned our hobby farm into kind of a little resort. Yeah. For us, you know, but mm-hmm. we like to share it. Mm-hmm. And uh and our training center is there on our on uh on our property. And uh so we my wife is really big she's a big horse person, right? So she she's you guys heard of dressage, like the real formal yep. English, like with the horses like yep. doing belly. My wife's into dressage. That's pretty cool. So we had this huge dressage horse, he's sixteen hundred pounds and <laughs> and like a super freak athlete, a super it's fun to watch an animal that big be that amazing and graceful. It's like meeting an NBA player. It's like he's like fucking Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, right? you, you just bumped your head on the door frame and jumped up the steps, the whole steps. <laughs> yeah, it made it. What look the hell? While you did it. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to have companions for him, and uh, so we got these. We bought these two little miniature donkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, Blossom and Boo Boo, they're, they're they're like they're like the size of a large dog, basically, and they have super sweet personalities. They're just a little over a year old, and uh, they're a lot of fun. We have friends that come over. They're like, can we come over and just hang out the donkeys? Because they, they just it's weird. Like they fill your love tank. It's they're not su- weird at all. It makes perfect sense. They're super affectionate. They're like these little like, like these little creatures from a fairy tale or something mm-hmm. and all they do want to do is like love you it's like my little ponies <laughs> like they're like friends going yeah they are they are like that i can show you guys some video like um uh, we have a friend who's going through kind of a nasty divorce right now and he'll be like can i just come over and like hang with the donkeys get my love tank filled like fuck yeah bro come on over and our big boy is uh legacy is his name liberty's legacy is his competition name he uh He's super affectionate. He's got two personalities. He's got the show personality where he's like, I'm the fucking best. I'm training right now. Don't fuck around. I'm the alpha. But then he's got this really fun, lighthearted, affectionate, goofy personality when he's not working. That's how you should be. I think so. Yeah. Learn from the horse. Fuck yeah. Learn from horses. They know. I think so. So Blossom and Boo Boo, come out and check them out. They're fun. That's kind of a... uh, Something of a dream of mine. Have a little little space outside of town. I live too close to town right now. Where do you live? Uh, Plymouth. Oh, you, yeah. yeah. Uh, my old man's got land where I'm gonna plop a little little homestead on. You know, some chickens, a goat, maybe a mini donkey. Now that I've fallen in love with your mini donkeys, we have chickens uh, too. Yeah, good. The laying laying donkeys. chickens. What's that? You got laying chickens or yeah, meat chickens? Yeah, yeah. laying chickens. Yeah. You mm. get a day from each one. I gotta, I gotta do that. That's I'm great. jealous, super jealous. Chickens are fun. They're like they're like uh, watching like a fish tank, and they're my the. 
my wife's is an animal per like she's an animal freak right mm-hmm. and uh so she'll call the chickens and they'll come running like dogs and it's fun oh yeah yeah chickens are cool you don't want like three thousand of them in a in a unlit tight space shed that's when it goes wrong but you get some no. chickens out there you know hanging around They're in your front yard and, yeah 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 they're a lot of fun and then we have a two cats and a and a little dog that lives in the house with us too so that's kind of our our family but open invite man both of you guys come on out hang out by the fire with us come on do have a roll with us you know my training center's right there um speaking of which you guys know david scora Mm -hmm. he just messaged me again (laughs) just now (laughs) pretty much always say again with with score at least with me there's always there's always one in the dms for me he knows i'm on the show by the way i message him yeah i I, I I bet you guys a little bit well he's actually the first person that uh mentioned because him he had gone out trained with you a little bit kyle had started and all that you know and i was like okay who and i kind of made a mental note just because yeah it's just because it's on my to-do list is to to you know train to handle shit a little bit better you know in terms of those situations Paul, can i give you that yeah would you mind yeah here thanks yeah i had the cheney boys yeah too mm -hmm. kyle Kyle's a regular student out at IDS now. Mm-hmm. He's doing great. Yeah, I messaged him. I said, hey, anything you've been afraid to ask or, or anything you've been curious about, I'll throw it out in the podcast. But he just had nothing good to say or nothing but good to say. Sorry. Woo. Oh, that's nothing nice. but good he, to say. Same. same. He, had, he had good things to say about you guys, too. I asked him about it yesterday. What about Henry? You train young Henry? Henry. It's the kid. Aaron's kid. Aaron's little boy. Oh, Henry! It's, he's his uncle's come out to our place. Oh, he's has awesome he? Okay, too. that's good. Yeah. I can't believe I I can't believe I blanked mm-hmm. on Henry's name. No, I put you on the spot. This is no lie. <laughs> just, just Check it out. He's out at my place right there. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so last year when COVID hit, time mm-hmm. so met Scora and the, a lot of the M Theory guys. Um, when COVID hit, we kind of had a training speakeasy. Mm-hmm. going on out at our place yeah everybody had a blank speakeasy right you know we were, yeah. we were rolling at the fire station <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're rolling, you got your <laughs> yeah. mats right here too yeah right? there's mats in everybody's basement and yeah, you made yeah. it happen and a lot of great stuff came out of that you know having having that many rounds having that kind of volume with a firearm on at the same time at the, um, a lot of really great stuff and and david um ended up becoming during especially during that time became a really great training partner you know, I call it score torture, right? Seems right. I call it score torture. And I learned a lot from him. You know, can you find anybody who's nicer than David fucking Scora who can kill you in a blink of an eye and take, he calls it taking your soul. Has he talked about that? <laughs> that's a, that's a Zach Jeffrey thing too. Uh, there's a, there's a few savages out there that'll yeah. whisper about taking your soul as they're taking your soul. Yeah. But he was way into, he was way into the, mm-hmm. uh, my contacts and, Super helpful and very generous with his time and his expertise to help bring this along for me as well. Um, uh, who's the guy? Super talented young kid from M Theory, the black belt. Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. Oh man. Total Mar- total jerk. Yeah. <laughs> never, never lets me get past his feet or nothing. Yeah, I know. Come on, dude. 
I remember I said to him one time because he was going light on me, you know, and I'm like, don't do that, dude. Don't do me the disservice of like, of, you know, catch and release and being nice to me. He's like, oh, you sure? I'm like, okay. <laughs> but he's working on something. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he he's That's... working on something. Yeah. Then he worked on me. He worked on me after that. But um, we, we are the the 50% of one rep max where you're just kind of just pumping some blood into the muscles, you know, just maybe trying a different hand position. That's what we are to those guys. Yeah. You know, just, just exploring some other variables till they get to the maximal weights later. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I say I'm not a grappler, right? Cause I don't feel like I'm worth Those guys are grapplers. You guys probably are too, but I don't feel worthy to call myself a grappler, you know, but they, the people who have really committed their life to being a grappler, I'm a dabbler. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I take my shit seriously and they deserve to be acknowledged for, for what they do. And I, I don't want to, I don't want, I'm a, I'm a fucking tourist. You know what I mean? I'm not calling myself a local. And I don't think, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right to do mm-hmm. in this same, by the same respect, I kind of, to be honest with you, I expect the same in reverse. Oh, you put a gun on once when you rolled, right? So now you're a weapons based right, grappler. Right, right. You know what I mean? Um, I, uh, not the not the fact that I deserve that because but let's not water that down because now someone can get killed because you know they think they know something that they don't right there's a point at which it, it will be unsafely tested whereas if you That's claim right. to be a grappler so to speak as you're deci- de- uh, defining it yeah it's pretty safely going to be proven wrong yeah yeah, yeah e- exactly right so I don't know I think it's just time I've mentioned it a few times, right? But I think it's time that we start calling things what they are. Sure. You know, is Olympic lifting and powerlifting are they the same thing? Dramatically different. There you go. Uh, I'm definitely not a grappler. I'm more of a like shit talker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a foot tickler. I tickle feet when I, when I roll. Yeah, that's all I got, oh, though. they're the worst, the foot ticklers. <laughs> what about you, Polly? What's your jam? Uh, lazy. Old man jiu-jitsu. Lazy? Yeah. Old man jiu-jitsu? No, yeah, very basic. I'm in your camp, right? Yeah, very basic. Just play play defense and then try to catch a collar choke here and there. Yeah. Here, here and there being very frequent. Yeah, I know. I was just going to say, like, I know his type. I know this. He's that, sand, he's that classic sandbagger who downplays everything, and then you get out of the mat with him, you're like, yeah. what in the fuck is going on right now? This guy weighs 50 pounds less than me, and he's lighting me up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, I can tell. Just you see, so you're shaking your head just because you had a rough week because of other sandbaggers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's what jujitsu is, a room full of fucking sandbagging nerds. It really is. It really is. That's what's great about it, though. You know, I think I can honestly say that I've never, like, I've been, I've been involved with groups, you know, and subcultures, you know what I mean? And whenever I've been involved with the, I'm like, kind of like, I don't really belong here. Like, I don't identify with these people. But until I got around the grappling community. Well, I don't consider myself a grappler, but, but once I get around the, that community, I'm like, these are people I can identify with the MMA community too. You know, um, these are people that I can, I, that I can identify with. I think because you can't fake it. 
there's no fucking pretending. You can either fucking do it or you can't fucking do it. And if you can't do it and you pretend like you can do it, then you're going to fucking pay the price in more ways than one. You know, so I love the authenticity of it, you know. And the, we were talking, Matt and I were talking upstairs when we first met about how it's like the ultimate personal challenge, right? It challenges every part of you, your mind, your body, your spirit, everything. And it's most of the time it's you versus you, which is the, such a great part of that personal, the personal development side. It's a metaphor for life, right? The ultimate challenge and problem solving. You're playing 5D chess with someone trying to fucking choke you unconscious and break your arms and legs and shit. Come on, you know. You know, also getting back to Scora quick, and I don't want to talk about him too much. <laughs> no, okay. He's the only <laughs> person who's ever it. submitted me from pressure alone. I, I admit it. He submitted me from, and I always made it a point to never submit from pressure alone, but he did it. Like, uh, sem, okay, well, yeah, but semi recently or in the very early, everybody's allotted one tap from pressure the first time somebody high mounts you and then like, Splays out and just belly fucks you into the earth. Like, go ahead and tap. You've never been smothered he, like this before. This was about a year ago. Okay. What a and jerk. It, <laughs> and he was inside control and he just knew how to position himself just right. And he's not small. No. The score is not small. What is it? He's a little bigger than he was a year ago right now. I was just talking to him about is it. He? He's a big boy, yeah. Two something. Yeah. So, and yeah. So I admit it. He did it. I, I, I tapped a pressure on him. But no, but that's the thing. Like that's, <laughs> that's the thing that's so great about, about grappling, right? No faking your way through that shit. You like movies? I used to make movies, bro. <laughs> I'm going to take that sentence and put it right at the... That'll be the intro clip. I used to make movies, bro. Love what it. kind of movies you make? That kind of thing. We made all kinds of movies. Uh, the two that did really well were documentaries. Um, you guys are pro- probably both familiar with the Boondock Saints. Mm-hmm. So I was in the Boondock Saints circle back in the day, and that's a long story. But I co-produced the documentary on the making of the Boondock Saints called Overnight. Uh, world premiered at Sundance in 04. Did the whole festival circuit, international distribution, all that. And then another well-received uh, documentary called Frag, which is on professional video gaming. Frag. Frag on pro video gaming. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are two big ones, and I, but I made some, others, made some other stuff too and love that process. Don't like Hollywood very much, but the, the, the creative process of telling a story like that, yeah, I dig it. I dig that a lot. And so... You know, you guys see the videos that we put. I don't know if you've ever seen the videos that we put out on social on our social media. Mm-hmm. So, applying you know those skills to those videos as well, but in a much more meaningful way. I'll, I'll add. Hopefully, I hope. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I love movies. I haven't watched them. Oh, sorry. I haven't watched <laughs> them a lot lately though. I've been too busy. Fight movies. By the way, I saw Big Lebowski upstairs. Yeah, the, the puzzle. Is it a, that's a puzzle? It's yeah, a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Yeah, my nephew's got that for me for my birthday back in April, and I finally got around to putting it together the other night. You're a Big Lebowski, obviously a Big Lebowski fan. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I love Dude. puzzles too. Favorite, favorite scene in Big Lebowski? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I got a major hard on for Sam Elliott just in general. Oh, dude. So I think I go that route. But Sam Elliott, got it. Uh, one of my favorites is when Tara Reid is uh, is by the pool and he goes, "I'm gonna go find a cash machine." <laughs> <laughs> just the lines, those classic, <laughs> those little lines, I'm those classic. For me, I mean, can you really like we talk about like one great scene after the other, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Yep. Epic. That dream sequences in any good program, like the dream sequences in The Sopranos, the episodes where he's like perpetually dreaming, fucking amazing. Because you can break the rules a little bit. You're you're oh, outside yeah. reality, so they let it be just you know yeah. weird. Yeah. It's a hell of a Caucasian. Yeah, they Jerry. did some amazing stuff in that movie. Yeah, yeah I like John the- Goodman. I mean. <laughs> yeah. The goat. I have friends, and all we do is send each other lines from the Big Lebowski back and forth. Yeah. You do the same I, was, thing. I was just gonna say one of my favorite lines is a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot, a lot of what have yous. Yeah. <laughs> say that a lot. There's a beverage here, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what you need on the t-shirts for your business, right? Because a, there's a beverage here, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the mark of a good movie. It's not that it's quotable; it's that it is a long series of well-worn quotes. Yes. You know what I mean? And, you know, living in L.A., I was living in L.A. At the, at the time that it came out. Like, they, when you live in L.A., it adds a whole new layer of cool to it because they so nailed it, the yeah. living in L.A. experience. <laughs> I know exactly where that In-N-Out Burger is, by the way. <laughs> Near yeah. the In-N-Out Burger. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I have all these one-liners going through my head in mm-hmm. that movie, yeah. The first time I saw that, was when I uh, I had just moved to North Carolina, and I'd been there like maybe a month, and a hurricane was rolling through, and we had it was called a hurricane party. I never heard of that, but it was just a bunch of guys uh, <laughs> locked in an apartment for like forty eight hours with just coolers full of beer, and that's called not something much else, else on, the, on right? the West Coast. They call that something else. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> four and dudes we just, locked in an apartment. <laughs> we just watched Lebowski. Like, yeah. Over and over till the power went out, and then yeah. it was time to start drinking beers. And yeah. well, we started before that too, but yeah. I don't know how many times I've seen that movie, man. It just never gets old. And then you pick up new things every time, you know. Yeah, this aggression will not stand, man. Aggression. But the do you know the find the stranger in the Alps thing? What? Because back in the day, maybe this still happens, but like you could you'd catch Big Lebowski on TBS. Let me rephrase that. You catch Big Lebowski on fucking TBS. Right. Okay. Like how often do they curse and whatever? And the overdub of this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. What they came (laughs) up with. Do you see what happens, Larry? This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. No. That's what they said. Seriously? Have you seen that too? No, but I love it. So like it became its own like meme. You know, and like a buddy of mine years ago had a, I think a book called You're a Lebowski, I'm a Lebowski. And it was all these little factoids and whatnot. And that was one of the, one of the things they played on in there. I remember seeing it on TV and going, find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah. We got to see Julianne Moore kind of naked flying on a mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> Making art. I was like, love right. me, Jeffrey. That's a fucking great line, too. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, the randomness, the random brilliance of that movie. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, Walter's the man. Walter. Walter's the man. Yeah. Walter's definitely the man. And he's dressed right too for like the tactical bro totally. crowd too. Like people totally. don't really realize that until you sort of like start to try to be a wannabe like gun guy. Like he's dressed that way for a reason. Yeah. There's pockets and pouches and shit. I didn't really fully realize it until he's all recently. You know. Vigilant. Yeah. You know. And then, then at the same time, he's like calmer than you are. I'm calmer than you are. Calmer than you are. We just fucking take it easy. <laughs> Scoring oh, at. Tell me the best fight scene or best fight movie or best like battle movie just based on your snobbish opinion or just bro preference, whichever. That's so hard, man. Like how do you, you, I mean, I'll tell you what though. uh, This is kind of becoming a cliche now, but first time I saw John Wick, I was like, I I didn't even, it's funny because I didn't know about it. And I was at my buddy's cabin and everyone was asleep and, and I'm like, I'm going to throw a movie in. So I threw in this movie called John Wick. I'd never seen it before. And by the time I was done watching it, I was like, this is the greatest fucking yeah. movie of all fucking time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I got to go with John Wick 1. Yeah. Because they, they're like doing it right. Like he's going and actually training with people who yeah. handle weapons, that, yeah. like Terran Tactical and whatever, right? Yeah. So it's like not choreographed in the Hollywood sense, really. It's... They choreograph it, but they're including like more sensible approaches, you know. Totally, it's the thing of the you're clear. The cops are clearing a room in a TV show, and he's holding just his gun like, like four he, feet in front of right, him, you right. know, and going just around like corners. Just like his handling and the way he does shit, and when the way he moves on the ground and stuff, you tell like he's like putting in the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you're like, oh, I I like that. Whoever the te- the technical advisors were knew what they were doing. What else? Anything? literally anything whenever i'm on a podcast or whatever i usually like to say this when i can it's kind of like my message right um i believe that citizen defenders are born it's in their dna to watch over the flock right and it's a, it's a, it's believe it or not, it, while it's what they do, it's kind of, a, it can be a burden at times and people think you're, they're just trying to be cool guys or tough guys or girls or whatever, but it's what they have to do. It's like the sheepdog. They, it, that's a cliche now too, but it's true. That's what the, that's what the sheepdog does. There's, there's no two bones about it. The, the citizen defender when they're around other people, it's never not in their mind and how they're going to protect those other people. It's just the way that it is. And uh, we live in a society, I believe, we live in a society that wants to shame those people and uh, demean those people as some kind of a second-class citizen, right, that uh, shouldn't be allowed to, to be a protector of other people, that, that, that they somehow are glamorizing violence in some way or, uh, you know, I, I kind of think that we're living in a society that wants to, you know, demonize masculinity and uh i I personally i'm here to encourage those people to be who they are you know and um to to seek out the training and the education that they need to fulfill that and i won't let you know that 
contact me. I'm here to support you. You don't have to train with me, whatever. I'm just here. To, I'll just be here to be your moral support. And the other pe like-minded people that I know around the world that are like you to be your moral support, to, to be what you are, because I can't think of too many things that are, that are um, more honorable than to be protective of what is right and what is innocent. And, um, so I'm encouraging you to, you know, to pursue that and to show those colors, you know, proudly, right? Show those colors proudly and, and know that there's nothing wrong with you and that there's nothing for you to be ashamed of. Like my, you know, I'm a, I'm a devout follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a devout Christian. I'm a Christian follower of Jesus Christ. And to me and in my belief system, there is no greater love than to lay your life down for another person. Don't want you to do that. Hope you never have to do that. Not encourage you to be a cowboy or to intervene in places when you shouldn't be intervening. I'm just saying there's no shame in it. There's only honor in that. And so if you're listening to this and that and you identify with it, then I hope that you'll meditate on what I've had to say. Cool, brother. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to share it. Awesome, man. Thanks.